1: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden,
0: Colorado. Sign up for your daily go-to free sports newsletter at sports.axios.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the eSports Biz Show on Prediction, We are live from NYC, and I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week, we will be discussing esports organizations and teams. Just a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice, as all the information is solely for educational purposes only. Esports teams and orgs, the entities that sign professional gamers and streamers to compete on behalf of them. This week's guest is Harris Peskin. He's an esports attorney at ESG Law, and the executive director of the Esports Bar Association. Harris works with many of the world's top esports organizations. Thanks for joining us, Harris.
2: Thanks for having me, Justin. I appreciate, appreciate it.
1: So just to briefly introduce the topic, an esports team, this is really just a group of competitors in one game competing in one title, whereas an org is multiple teams competing in multiple titles all under one banner. Some org well-known ones, Cloud9, Fnatic, Immortals, and Gen G. So organizations earn income in a lot of ways. A few of those are potentially a percentage of their player tournament winnings, both through physical and digital team merch, whether it's in-game items, hats, t-shirts, really anything that has the team name or logo on it. They also have, you know, streaming ad revenue, whether it's on Twitch, as well as subscriptions through that as well as ad revenue on any created content that they make. Another huge area of income for most teams is sponsorships and brand partnerships. And recently, some have been getting a little innovative and created a fan club. For instance, Rogue created the Rogue Nation as a way to kind of give their fans some unique perks and access and make some more money. So now that we know a little bit way about how teams generate income, Tell us a little bit more about your past esports experience, Harris.
2: My past esports, it's been a wild ride, I would say. Um, so I came into the scene in 2015. Um, at the time, I was working at a law firm. Uh, I helped broker the acquisition of a European LCS team uh, named H2K. Uh, I ended up going to work with them full time uh, sometime in 2016. Um, we ended up finishing third in the world at the world championships in 2016. Um, we actually sold out Madison square garden, which is one of my favorite, uh, favorite experiences. That's crazy. Um, yeah, it was actually, it was crazy. It was nuts. It was a a crazy time. A lot of fun. Um, I got a chance to work with a lot of team owners and make a lot of contacts while I was with H2K. I ended up leaving, um, in December of 2016 to kind of do my own thing in law, uh, At that point, I I had the opportunity to represent several players. I did uh, one of the first EB1A applications, uh, which is a green card application for uh, an LCS player. Um, It was actually kind of set the meta a little bit and the trend that we've seen recently, where a lot of teams now look to apply for uh, a green card because if you're successful in gaining a green card for one of your players, you have an import uh, for under Riot's LCS rules, so. Some teams have kind of sought to innovate on that a little bit. Um, I, in around August August of 2017 or so, I, I want to say maybe June, uh, I joined up with ESG Law. Uh, Bryce Blum is one of the prominent esports attorneys in the industry. Um, he had seen what I'd done with HGK. He had seen what I was doing on my own, uh, working with some teams and doing some consulting for some LCS teams as well as... Uh, Obviously, some immigration stuff, and thought it'd be a good idea to work together. So we work together at ESG Law now. Um, With ESG, we represent Cloud9, TSM, Team Liquid, um, Method. uh, You know, most of the, almost all the big teams. Um, We do everything from sponsorship deals, um, immigration work, player team deals. Uh, We work hand in hand with the leagues whenever uh, we need to. To you know, whether. It's getting into the league itself for situation. You know, if one of my clients needs to get into the Call of Duty League, we're, we're the ones that draft those or we participate in the redlining process with uh, those division. Um, same thing could be said for you know the EULCS or I guess the LEC now and the NALCS um, when Riot was going through that entire process. Uh, other than that, we obviously all, all these teams have ancillary businesses, whether it's merchandise. Uh, some of them, as you mentioned, with Rogue, have spun off different things and obviously uh those require attorneys to spin off those businesses sometimes investment deals we get involved in so really we i would say we have our hands a little bit uh in everything that kind of touches this industry yeah
1: how do you like it do you enjoy working on behalf of the team side
2: yeah you know it's it's an interesting um experience for sure i would say that um you know when you were with one team in particular when you're kind of having been on exclusively on the team side and worked exclusively with one team um I would say that it is a little bit different being able to touch kind of the entire industry because you're not necessarily, um, you know, relegated just one kind of you're speaking, but you're only speaking from one voice and on some other circumstances when you're speaking on behalf of, you know, let's say this negotiation with a game developer, right? Obviously, um, you know, if we're representing multiple clients, it's all separate negotiations, but at the same time, um, we get to see kind of everything that's going on in that in that uh, in that scene, and, and I would say that it allows the attorney to have a um, a larger impact in, in setting industry standard than he might otherwise have with uh, with one team. As a, and also, I would say that you know I, I definitely enjoy this area a lot more than I had done some player stuff in the past. Um, I wouldn't say that the player stuff is unimportant at all, but I would say that um, this is a matter of academic exercise like. I think that working on the team side allows you to touch on different areas of the law that you're not necessarily going to be exposed to as a player agent. Um, I like to, you know, flex the brain muscles from time to time. But sure. you know, it's allowed me to learn a lot more about things like um, securities, uh, just corporate law, which is something I was doing before I came, you know, when exclusive with uh, the team in 2016. Uh, I've done some M&A deals now and. It allows you to kind of expand on your expertise because there's so much more that's going on from a legal perspective. Do
1: you ever find when you have two teams that you're working with playing against each other or like negotiating for the same player, how does that kind of?
2: Um, yeah, no. We, well, so we we um, obviously you're right. There's there's conflict situations where uh, two teams are negotiating, or the say for example, there's a trade between the two of them where they want to execute a trade. In that situation, what we'll do is we'll just uh, we'll draft up a conflict waiver and. You know, other teams are having independent counsel um, review that conflict waiver, understand the implications that you know we can't represent both of them at the same time. That said, we can act as a scrivener, so we can just write down whatever they tell us to write down in terms of the business. Okay. And that's kind of how we, we do that. We're, we're not uh, as you point out, like we're not allowed to take uh, one team's side over the other in that situation. And that does happen from time to time. You know, obviously, since we do touch a lot of these teams in the industry, they they do you know interact quite frequently. Um, it's not uncommon for that to happen.
1: Okay. So, what are you currently working on now? It's huh. the big thing. <laughs>
2: uh, I can't really. Uh, I mean, I mean, obviously, we can't talk exactly about what's going on now. I would say that uh, we, you know, with respect to the Esports Bar Association, we recently launched um, the EBA. Uh, well, not recently. We did that two years ago. But we, the EBA recently launched a journal. Um, the Esports Bar Association, for those of you that don't know, is uh, an institution devoted to the promotion of academia, policy, and um, all that fun stuff uh, within the legal community of esports. Mm-hmm. Uh, we recently launched a journal, which we had been constructing for quite some time. Um, we, I wrote on antitrust law. I, I read
1: it. It was a great article on unions. I thought it was very interesting.
2: I'm happy that you got the chance to read that. Um, you know, I, I tried to, I tried to make sure that uh, it was not too dry, because obviously, when you're talking about antitrust law, like not everyone wants to hear it. But at the same time, I think that it does present interesting—it um, does present interesting questions that really need to be tackled, and especially as it relates to um, moving forward in the industry and, and an honest assessment of uh, the ecosystem. And and Justin, because you talked a lot about the at the outset about how teams monetize, and having worked on the team side for so long now, and and being you know kind of seeing where the money's coming in and where it's going out obviously Milliman's working on those deals so i get I get insight into it it's really interesting and and uh i would it is not as peachy as some people paint it out to be and so what i one of the things i really treasure in this role that i have is my this is more of a business perspective but my constant push for um, increased team rights and avenues to monetize just so that we could continue to keep this industry afloat and, and grow and growing as it should be because um you know a lot of times people make the comparisons to professional sports leagues and i would argue that most people don't actually know how much money those professional sports teams generate but i would say that from a uh, professional esports teams' perspective not only are you trying to emulate the professional sports model but at the same time you're, you're introducing another character or another party into the equation that um can almost completely strip you of your rights at a moment's notice and could control the entire pot of money that's coming into the industry if they wanted to and that could be a bit troubling and that is if, if i were to give you one goal or one thing i'm constantly working towards or i would say would be kind of um leveling the playing field a little bit for the, the teams that we represent although obviously you know i can't do that myself but mm-hmm. that would be I'm touch about that in the article. I don't know if you Yeah, so I mean, the yeah. thing that
1: you're kind of mentioning is how you kind of have three parties involved in this equation. Most right. of the other professional sports is really the players and the teams. Whereas this equation, you have the players, the teams, and the game developers like Blizzard and Riot and Valve. Right. And so as you're kind of navigating these situations, do you find that when you're advocating on behalf of the teams, you're also having the players' interests in mind? Because I guess the team has players, and you know they want to make sure that they're taken care of properly.
2: Well, I think that it's a, it's definitely interesting, right? Because um, when you think about it, what does a player do to get paid? Like, why should I pay a player money? Just out of out of curiosity, why should I pay any employee money? Because he wears you your paid. shirt
1: and puts your logo on his social media and says "Go Optic, Go" on his social media and streams and all that other right. stuff.
2: But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a Base calculation, right? Like if I'm hiring an employee at my law firm, if I'm hiring an employee at McDonald's, the calculation is always going to be this person by, by virtue of me hiring this person, I'm going to make more money than I would if I didn't hire this person. Mm-hmm. right like it's always it's an investment into your employee like you're, you're saying well maybe it's by virtue of maybe when i hire someone one of my mentors uh told me you know you're only as valuable to your law firm as the money you generate for them right that's that's very true um mm-hmm. but money doesn't need to be com, come in the form of origination it could come in the form of um you know simple i don't have to do this job or you know i'm hiring this person because he's gonna net me impressions on social media as you as you pointed out right like that's good for engagement purpose so uh, that's kind of the calculation, but you don't just pay someone because they're good at the game. Like people don't deserve to be paid because, you know, I'm an incredible Minecraft player or whatever. Like that, it doesn't do anything for me. You know, like mm-hmm. you need to actually generate. You need to be valuable. So, you know, in that regard, I would say that um, teams. You, the, the original question was, do you advocate on behalf of players? Like I'm not necessarily advocating on behalf of players because obviously I'm not representing the players anymore. I represent teams. Mm-hmm. But my advocacy on behalf of teams is correlated to my advocacy on behalf... is going to be correlated to you know, players. If teams make more money, presumably that's more money they can pay the players. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at um, traditional sports, and it's a good analogy, although this hasn't happened yet in eSports, you look at the NHL, right? So the National... I'm a big New York Islanders fan. Uh, yes, huge man. New York Islanders fan. Thank you, <laughs> Justin. Um, Let's go Rangers. Oh, oh God. But... The NHL uses a model whereby it says the players are only going to receive in the form of revenues. They're only going to receive 50% of the uh, hockey-related revenue generated by the teams. There's a salary cap on that, right? So what will happen is you'll project out the hockey-related revenues the teams you know, the league is going to bring in. That's going to be the aggregate of all the teams' revenues. Then mm-hmm. you're going to divide that by the number of teams um, – divide that by the number of teams in the league and then divide that by 50%. That's going to give you per per capita 50% of the share. That's going to give you a midpoint. You can't go in excess of 150% of the midpoint or below 85% of the midpoint. That's the salary floor. And like this is kind of the formula that's used to determine how much we should be paying players in the National Hockey League. Because of how much they're
1: earning. It's like, okay, this is the total amount that's earning through you playing hockey. So you get a cut of it based on what's earned through everybody.
2: Correct. But in – in eSports it's entirely different and, and this is what I really touched on in that article um, it's in eSports it's more like we are going to pay you money we're gonna pay you the players money not based on how much revenues that you're generating us but on the on the hope that at one point in time you know by virtue of you competing in, and competing well for us we'll gain brand recognition so that when money really starts to come through in the form of sponsorships broadcasting revenues or whatever, um, will be there to reap the profit because
1: you had helped build us. Because we're the the champion, Overwatch champion, and we have the best player and all that stuff.
2: Right, and that's, that's kind of the calculation. But I would tell you that, just as a matter of course, when you have unrestricted... Um, when you have this uh, virtual or this lack of restriction is really what this is. This is a lack of a restriction um, on the economics of the industry. What you end up with is a situation where oftentimes there's just unfettered competition for these players and inflated player salaries. Uh And that's kind of, that's um, what happened with call of duty.
1: That's what I've alluded
2: to in the scene right now. I mean, and you know, I, you, you had mentioned before, I think uh, maybe before the show, but uh, you mentioned the Mark, uh, who was it? Uh, Mark Cuban comments, right? Yeah, so
1: let's kind of go into that because today there was a clip circulating where Mark Cuban, who's the owner of the Dallas Mavericks and also Mavs GG which is NBA 2K affiliate, were on Fox Sports 1's fair game. He basically said that investing and in owning a U.S. esports team is really an awful investment. What are your thoughts? How accurate is he really? Yeah, I mean,
2: I, I think it's it's fairly accurate. Um, it's fairly accurate for most teams, I should say, um, at at the present time. And that's it's a loaded comment. I so I
1: should caveat that. And why why, why would you think that? Why Why would you say that? What are some factors going on that are kind of causing this? Why do, why this?
2: do you invest money? Why does anyone invest money? To make money, right? But if mm-hmm. you don't make money, is it a good investment? No. I,
1: I mean, it, right. it depends. Do you have to make money tomorrow or the day after? No, I don't have
2: to make money tomorrow. I have to have the prospect of making money,
1: mm-hmm. right?
2: Like that, that prospect needs to exist. And I would say that right now, be, given the high expenditures that you're, you're seeing in the scene on 100% of team revenues, um, in some instances, team revenues are, are non-existent. Mm-hmm. Um, and when team revenues are non-existent, um, certainly I would say that continuing to spend money without the hope of, of bringing it back like y- you need to be able to have that hope and there's so much competition in the team market right now um mm-hmm. for you know, things like sponsorships that there's going to have to be some sort of a consolidation of teams at some point and i would say that for those teams that are doing a good job of making money for those teams um you know I, i'm not going to name any clients but like there are teams that do a good and finding ways to do interesting things and put out interesting content and therefore derive you know forms of money like those mm-hmm. teams i do th- i don't think it would be a bad investment to invest in those teams i do think those teams have a good you know prospect of, of future money making and I, I could see those investments being justified but um i would say that some of the valuations and what these guys are raising at like the multipliers are just insane and i don't think that it's justified in most cases
1: do you think you know new revenues so you know in-game item revenue do you think that will generate and help with this gap that you're seeing?
2: Um, Well, I mean, I think that this kind of goes back down to what we were talking about initially, which is um, player side versus team side. Right. So like we mentioned, like it's always about general, it's always about funnel through the player level. Right. Like that's that's the goal. Um, But at the end of the day, where's that money money Like, just think about it from a matter of just hierarchy. Right. Like that money we're talking about for in game content needs to come from somewhere, It needs to come from the game developer. And if it's coming from the game developer, then needs to trick it down to the team. So that's going to require some sort of a discussion between teams and the game developer. Typically, um, the game developer holds all the power in, in that dynamic. And that is a situation where they can exercise that power however they really want to. Um, it may not be beneficial to the teams. and Indeed. They might have to accept a deal that they are not happy with.
1: There are countless ways to keep up on what's happening in the world of sports. But how are you supposed to read every great article? How are you supposed to watch every awesome highlight without losing time in your busy day? Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. Now coming to the stage, Axio Sports. Axio Sports is our modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. Each morning you'll see the best stories from around the sports world, from the NBA, NFL, to niche sports like cricket and ping pong. The email newsletter highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up. Just so go to sports.axios.com. Axios Sports is a clean, crisp, and gives you everything you need to know. Read it in five minutes in the elevator, or discover a deep dive article while you're on the train to work. Not only will you be caught up, you'll be the person sharing an amazing link with your friends and coworkers. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. Best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is free, curated sports content delivered directly to you. Do yourself and your time a favor. Sign up for the Axios Sports Newsletter for free at sports.axios.com. Seriously, I subscribe to it and it makes me feel more informed without spending time clicking through websites, apps, and social media platforms. Again, try it for free 99 at Sports.Axios.com. Indochino was founded on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe to look good. We all know how great you look and feel when your suit fits well. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. It makes suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. The best part is that they are affordable. Almost all of their custom clothing is under $400. The process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured in a nine-year suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself at Indochino.com. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE, for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. An incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. Now, you really have no excuses to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Do you see a trend? I know that there's been some leagues. I know Rocket League, for instance, has implemented some kind of revenue share with the participating teams where, you know, they get, I think it's 50% or 30% of whatever generated on any kits or, you know, tires or whatever you buy that has their lo- a team's logo on it. Right. So what is the question? Do you, do you think this is going to be more of the norm and that developers are going to see that they need to kind of come to the table a little bit and give teams additional ways to make money?
2: Right. I mean, at the end of the day, that's a that's a good question. Right. But there's in inter- I mean, I don't work for a game developer, so I can't mm-hmm. tell you this with experience. Well,
1: but yeah, you, you know, hypothesize you think as someone who sees the forecast is involved in the scene on a daily basis. Well, let me put that- it
2: to you this way. There are different bran- branches within a game developer, mm-hmm. right, Within within any given game developer, if they wanted to, in theory, if they wanted to valve or blizzard they could go on one of the maps that they have whether it's an overwatch csgo they could put a billboard up there right then and there and they could call it i don't know ring mm-hmm. sign in the game if they wanted to right mm-hmm. what would prevent them from doing that why don't they do that let me, let me, let me i mean i through. guess his spring
1: do... hasn't paid enough you know no do you ones think, offered well, him why, why
2: don't they do any of that they don't do any that is not that is not commonly right. done I, I I can't think of anything off the top of my head why do you think
1: that's the case I mean NBA 2K has you know they have all they have rhesus puffs and ruffles and You know, when you're looking, you're playing a game in stadium, it it rotates between their sponsors.
2: But you have to remember there's a there's differently um, there's there's certainly a different dynamic there, because when you're showing the in in stadium things, you're talking about getting a license from the stadium owner who's already going to have certain sponsorships that that he has done. And he might be required to display those in the game itself. Mm-hmm. and there might that might be a sub license situation. I mean the answer is because there's a bureaucracy and I would imagine there's oftentimes a fight between the creative development team part of that that um, don't want
1: that in there. That
2: don't want that in there because I think it takes away from the game and it's tacky and it's, business side. Right, it is tacky, but it's going to make them more money, but like mm-hmm. this is probably one of those you know internal dynamics that you're fighting through. They don't want to they don't care about, you know, if I'm a developer at Blizzard or if I'm a developer at Valve or if I'm a developer at Riot, I don't necessarily care about, you know, how much money the teams are making because, you know, creating an interesting map that's going to look cool for everyone that's playing it. Like, it's mm-hmm. kind of like that, um if you've ever seen uh, that movie, what was it, Mark? Mark it emulated Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg the social... uh uh-huh, the social
1: know, network, yeah.
2: Right, they don't, there's a huge ad, like, conversation about having advertisements on Facebook, right? Like, I would imagine that's the kind of a conversation that we're talking about here. It's a very... Okay,
1: so it's one of those sensitive topics, but, you know, as someone who's in touch with the financial forecasts, that might be a beneficial stream. So another thing that, you know, we know the game developers have been advocating is this kind of regionalization with city based franchising. Do you think that may exist in trying to fix some of the income discrepancies?
2: Well, let's just, you know, think about it from I mean, you gotta look at a couple of things, right? So first of all, you have to have an understanding of where the majority of revenue is coming for from these teams is roughly 50% of a traditional sports team's revenue is going to come from broadcasting. Then you're going to look at roughly 20% of the team's revenue is going to come from commercial sponsorships, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Those could be regionalized or nationalized. Um, then you're going to be looking at another like 20% probably going to be coming from um, uh, from ticket sales and suite sales. And then there's probably some combination that makes up things like uh, merchandising and concessions, depending on whether or not they own the venue or not. Um now, if we were to go through every single one of those things that I just mentioned, like let's literally go, th- go through them. Broadcasting. Well, what do you need in order to sell broadcasting rights so you can make money from broadcasting? You need the copyright. You need the intellectual property rights. So it means you need copyrights to basically go ahead and sell that broadcasting right. Who are you going to sell that to? You need a media partner. Well, the thing is in certain leagues that's now been done a little bit, you can look at things like um, you know, Riot uh, Riot, you know, Riot, um, Overwatch League—they like, all have their own deals, I'm sure, with all these other companies, like, you know, I'm sure Twitch, stuff like that. But um, that isn't coming from the team side. You don't have like a local deal with the, you know, the New York Islanders have a local deal with um, MSG Networks, and they mm-hmm. make something like 35 million dollars a year from that, right? Like, that's not something we're going to see in, um, you know, in esports because the esports teams don't own these rights. So that's that's one so we can count 50% of that revenue share right off the bat like it's gone okay merchandising like sure there's there's definitely merchandising in esports but um and professional sports most of these merch like most of the merchandising is done in-house through the league itself and they sell it from like the NHL store and they have like uh, every single piece of merchandise is made from the same factory and it's going to be um it's a Nike or Adidas brand product, product. Exactly. And so they have it's easier to basically just do everything at the same time. In esports is oftentimes you need to basically store everything in house. If you wanted to do everything in house, have your own factory to build this stuff, that's not really how it is. So you have to go basically which then requires you to share that revenues with another partner. And there's it's not there's probably not even a big enough fan base yet for your team to go ahead and justify that expenditure. So Merchandising really doesn't make up that much money for all, but a, there's a couple of teams it probably does, but not a, not every team. Like it's not really a substantial uh, substantive part of the part of the revenue stream. So then, okay, so we've, we've counted out broadcasts, we've counted out merchandise. What we got left? Ticket sales. We don't we own don't a stadium. That's to your original question. So we don't own a stadium. How are we going to make revenue off of ticket sales? We don't We don't make that money. Okay, that means there's no concessions. So what do we have left? We have sponsorships. Like I said, 70% to 80%. Your question was, um, would there be a benefit from regionalization? Well, the hope is that we'll open up an additional revenue stream, ticket sales, but that's going to require additional fans. These te- These teams probably don't have enough They don't have a big enough fan base to go ahead and sell out a big arena yet. So, what are you really looking at? Well, you're looking at taking on debt to go finance either the uh, renting or, in the Philadelphia Fusion's case, building a gigantic stadium, which is maybe going to be worth it. I don't know. We'll see. And it, you know, how many people is actually going to fit? How much money are you going to bring in and charge these people? Are you going to sell out every game? How many games are you going to have? I mean, if you look at, um, I mean, you know, we can't go into the, the. the specific details but we don't know how these schedules are going to shake out for, I mean the public doesn't know how these schedules are going to shake out for next year in, in leagues like uh, Overwatch League and the CDL so you know is that going to be worth the return on investment I don't know we'll see but uh, w- one thing I will say though while you might not be able to make that money back in ticket sales a problem that a lot of esports teams have had has been generating a fan base if I were to sit here today Justin, and ask you a question I would have put it to you what are your favorite teams how would you answer that
1: I mean, I really think I like the way FaZe Clan does. And no, I No, not always... esports teams. Not oh. esports. Give I mean, me Yankees, sports. Jets, Rangers, Knicks.
2: What do they all have in common?
1: They're in New York.
2: Right. They're in New York. So I would tell you that it is the higher probability, just be- for whatever reason, there's regional loyalty in professional sports. So if the bet is on regional loyalty, you know, playing a role in developing a fan base, then certainly um, I think that's a possibility. Yeah.
1: Okay. I mean one thing that I've kind of noticed and might be just these traditional sports business professionals mindset of okay we franchise the league we give out these regions and now we as the league can collectively negotiate a broadcasting deal a televising deal a streaming deal and similar to the way the NBA and the NFL does deal with Fox or NBC the teams get a cut of that revenue and that's kind of the way it operates you know i was also talking to some finance guys that help with arena financing and that this makes it a bit easier for banks and stuff to help finance and build a stadium because they know that there'll be you know a steady stream of income that is guaranteed and you know it makes it easier to then activating your local market if you have you know a space that has the fame clan's headquarters store and you could do gaming activations and sponsorship things and You know, you can really just activate in your local market to kind of work on what you're talking about. It's trying to build this, oh, I'm from Cleveland, so I'm going to like the Cleveland team. Like Miami, you know, is missed, like, you know, and you just kind of go with the team from where you're based because they're doing stuff in the community and they're giving you opportunities to interact with them.
2: Right. And and certainly that's the bet, right? Like I would would agree with you that there's definitely a a strong bet being placed that we're going to be able to generate a larger fan base by virtue of having these regions dedicated to us mm-hmm. um but what i would say is you know okay like generate those fan bases and that's a completely different proposition um and especially when your monetization windows are limited i mean if i were to i you know <laughs> how many overwatch league fans are going to go to assuming assuming that let's say for example the had a, a match every week
1: Okay, eight uh, week season, right? What's the eight it, games? How home? many
2: fans are actually going to go to those games every single week? That's the question um, that I've been asking. Like, and then how much money are you going to charge those fans? Like, assume that that is the case, and I'm not even saying that that's the case, but I just assume it's going to be the case.
1: How much are you going to make off of that? Like, I mean, what are you going to charge? Twenty bucks? Like, I don't think someone would pay seventy five bucks. Like, maybe if it includes like a T-shirt and a hat. York,
2: I I bought a ticket to the New York Islanders a game on sunday it's 15 bucks yeah 13 dollars
1: what are you kidding me like you're not you know it's not like yeah you can't sell five dollar tickets either it's not even (laughs) worth opening a venue
2: right so um you know there's all kinds of calculations you have to take but you know i I know that we're kind of running up against the clock but one thing that needs to be remembered you need to remember that sports team ownership and because if we've talked a little bit about mo- different paths to monetization kind of taken over this interview. But um, sports team ownership, as glamorous and glitzy as it may seem, I would guarantee you there's a great many deals of sports team owners that are not turning a profit on
1: their teams. They
2: have huge expenditures,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it is it is not all great. What I would say, though, it's is – not how
1: they make their money. Like They don't the pay their line. bills with their
2: – no. It's because it's the same thing as owning a golf course like you're not going to make money off of that but it's a sexy thing
1: to do so that's why you go ahead mm-hmm. and do There's it. There's a prestige right? in owning a professional team. There's
2: only 30 professional NFL te- or what is it? 30, 30 professional people, 32 professional NFL teams in the entire world. Like and you're one of those 32 guys. That's pretty mm-hmm. freaking cool. I could go tell my fellow billionaire friends, "Hey, look guys, I have this pretty
1: cool." "Yeah, come to my week. owner's suite next week." Right? Like,
2: and that, and that's really what a lot of the times that this is. And I would tell you that um one of the things in Europe, I studied for a little bit while I was in the European uh, LCS. I studied a little bit about the European football finances, and I can tell you that prior to the implementation of the financial fair, fair play rules in 2013, um, over at UEFA, most of those teams were making basically no money. There was there was debt, massive, massive amounts of I debt. I mean, spent-
1: Italian soccer had his own things going on there, though.
2: And over 100% of, of uh, team revenues were dedicated to player wages. Over 100% of team revenues were dedicated to player wages. Say nothing about any other uh, other expenditure. Like, that is insane. There's so there. it's hmm. it needed to be fixed. And I think, you know, to really bring it all home back to where I was originally at, like, one of the points I kind of make in my article is that um, I think one point there's going to be some sort of an inflection point whereupon uh, teams and, and players will need to come to some sort of an understanding regarding uh, skyrocketing player wages, stagnant uh, team revenues, different you know sources of revenue. Maybe that comes in the form of negotiating with game developers. I don't actually know how it looks like, but otherwise there's going to be a massive consolidation of teams and uh, players will lose jobs because there's going to be less teams to play for, so to speak. And, and that's not something anyone wants, so there needs to be there needs to be some change in that regard, for sure. Well, yeah,
1: I mean, I know that just from you know prior guests, they were talking about how this Overwatch season, there was just a plethora of free agents that everyone's contract ended, and the teams were just, they had a bunch of different people they can try out. They were really a bit more choosy. Maybe someone was willing to take a little bit less money in order to play for them. So I think that, you know, the market may end up just correcting itself by you know like okay if the contenders isn't an option and you're not signed to an overwatch league team like that may be it at this point you know like you're not gonna be able to get less than the minimum amount so you know if you want to accept the minimum you know i'm sure there's a bunch of people that are willing to accept the minimum as opposed to not being in the league at all you know
2: right right well i mean that's another question altogether you know just discussion about like that what that minimum actually looks like and um, how you come to that number, and there's all kinds of employment law considerations, antitrust considerations you have to take into account. And that's really where, that's where I think my job gets interesting because it's always like, okay, there's kind of like this inflection point. Um, how, do we de- how do we deal with the law intersecting with um, business, and mm-hmm. that's kind of where, you like, what's here.
1: actually happening in practical matter. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. yeah i mean i think that you know just to kind of sum up everything and you know to kind of echo what mr cuban had said earlier like there's a lot of problems in the way the ecosystem is structured you know you see all these glamorous headlines of 25 million here 30 million there all these different raises and it doesn't seem as though as a result that's meant that these teams are making 25 million dollars or you know hundreds of millions of dollars it seems that most of it is to kind of offset the cost of just existing to be able to play all of these operating costs the franchise buying fees and realistically the player costs that are just skyrocketing season by season
2: right so. exactly so it, it's almost treated as like a tech startup in some instances especially at the multipliers they're raising at but um you know it, it, this is the industry that we're in and we need to do a better job of, um, of making this industry uh, profitable for people and sustainable in the long term because this is what we're stuck with. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, I would tell you that I am extremely bullish on esports. I think that there has been a shift in our country where more and more people are playing video games. It's become socially acceptable to play video games. And there's less and less people watching traditional sports. More and more people are watching... Video games, so to speak, right? So, if you were to ask me, you know, not not video games, esports, I should say, would it be a profitable industry? You know, many years down the line, I would tell you yes, because you know, there's just a lot more people that are paying more and more attention to it. Really, if if you think about the demographics that watch traditional sports, you're looking at people anywhere from five, like to to seventy to eighty, like that's that's the amount of people you're drawing from. But in esports, you're looking at people from like the ages of like ten to, I don't know, like 30 usually. Mm. Right? Not like, like it's us, such though. A, well, right, we're in the
1: 35-year-old club. Sooner than later. For yourself. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> okay, we're almost in
2: the 30-year-old club. Almost in the 30-year-old club, but we are still got two more years, so don't rush me.
1: Okay. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think just to kind of bring it back to what you're doing at the Esports Bar Association, do you kind of feel like that's something that you guys are working on to try to work out some of these conflicts and just kind of inherent disagreements where it's like one company has a lot of the power all without their access and essentially rights. You can't do anything. There is no gaming. There's no tournaments. And without teams and signing players and housing them and paying for them, there's nobody competing on this competitive level. I wouldn't
2: say that's what we're doing at the eSports Bar Association. I mean, I I – I brought up my article um, so that I could kind of, you know, tell you what I've been doing recently. But the Esports Bar Association, you know, that's more of what I do, you know, the intersection of business and law is kind of what I do on a day-to-day basis at at ESG. Um, But what I would tell you I do at the Esports Bar Association, you know, definitely we're putting out this publication. We're definitely trying to, uh, you know, grow the legal understanding and the the legal industry within esports itself and kind of from now, you know, we're in a good place when it comes to the law. Um, I don't want it to just be ESG running, you know, everything. I think that there needs to be a healthy environment where there's all kinds of other lawyers that have developed a good industry standard and we're operating as a legitimate, you know, industry at that point. And mm-hmm. that's kind of where we come in, whether it's on doing. I've worked on legislation with state legislatures as a result of working with the Esports Bar Association, which has been a privilege. Um, I have worked with um, – I'm still doing that for what it's worth. Uh, I've had the opportunity to speak with people that had drafted statutes um, several years ago, maybe 20 years ago. I'm, I'm sure you've seen the stuff about Tfue. Like I've had the opportunity to uh, talk to these people and kind of try to understand their mindsets. And I think that's really uh, – you know, It's going to be a very of-
1: interesting case the way that all – Pans out no, if they even go that to, way.
2: We don't have time to talk about that now, no. but listen, I, I could I could talk your head off. I've had to write so much on the talent agencies act. Oh man. It's... I there's just so much misinformation out there when it comes to those those topics that
1: Well I guess that's uh, the you're gonna have to do a esports bar State of the Union. You know, to set everyone straight. You don't have to side, you just gotta set everyone straight. That's like this is what's really going on. who's right or who's wrong, that's not our decision, but you know, we shouldn't be making decisions based on inaccurate information. And, you know, the public loves to run with something they hear or see just because you have a little verified check next to you.
2: Right. Verified check doesn't mean anything. I have a verified check. It doesn't mean anything. So.
1: And I don't, exactly. It doesn't right. mean You should have one. You're the one running the podcast. So. Uh, right. You got to reach out to Twitter and be like, yo, Justin, <laughs> he's cool. He's that dude. So, what I would tell you, though,
2: is. Um, I, I would say that you're right. The public does love to run with everything. They hear something, they immediately, they, they spin off on it. And uh, there's a lot of misinformation. And sometimes you have to remember that some of that misinformation is strategic misinformation because people that are giving that information are, you know, have an interest to make it such that, that it is um, misinformed. You know, when you hear Tifu's lawyer come on to, a, you know, a, a stream or, you know, a, um, a video – I wouldn't say that he's the most objective source yeah. of information, obviously, right? So mm-hmm. I think that uh, really what it requires is, and kind of what my job as an attorney is, is to look at this objectively and say, this is how it's going to affect the risk that you have or you don't have. And uh, I mean, I have to give them an honest assessment of, of what I believe is the case. And, and that is kind of uh, that's certainly another interesting area of thing that, that I've been practicing on, especially in the wake of everything that's happened. Okay. And
1: uh, yeah. Okay, so you know I like to just close it up with three questions. So, what's your favorite game to play? You, you can say you can give me a bunch. Favorite game to play.
2: Uh, historically or right
1: now? Right now, historically, whatever. All. all right, so
2: favorite game to play historically i would say that what got me into gaming was uh, world of warcraft classic as a 14 thir- a year old in uh, high school i ended up founding club for my high school um oh. we raided together and they're still my best friends in the world today it's how i met all my best friends but my high school had a raiding club in 2004 we still raid in that same club so to speak in 2019
1: nice so are you enjoying the rematch I, I know you were all on yeah, twitter rem- with it yeah.
2: Yeah, it's it's an emotional time for me too, right? Because like this is kind of my introduction to video gaming, and this is how I friends. And I led a guild as a fourteen-year-old. I was instructing thirty-year-olds on how to do certain bosses, and (laughs) you know, fifteen years later, nothing has changed. I'm still instructing thirty-year-olds on
1: how to do the bosses. Except now you're the thirty-year-old killing bosses too. Right. Yeah. So, what's your favorite game to watch? That's interesting. So um,
2: I I think I historically had the most vested in League of Legends because I, Mm -hmm. you know, working with the team at one point, that was something I I really was interested. I'll still watch League of Legends. I watch, to my, you know, some people should grin, I I watch more European League of Legends than North American, but I watch both a fair amount. I would say my favorite things in terms of action to watch and just excitement has to be Super Smash Bros. Melee. Melee. I don't even play Melee. I play Ultimate, but... Um, the storylines there are, are immaculate and it's so fast paced and so action filled that you can't you can't do wrong with it.
1: Okay. So who's your favorite video game character? Like Mario, Luigi, just you know, right? Is that a hard one? I would say in terms of a
2: character named Pitt. I I've played Super Smash Bros. Brawl from college till like till Four, then ultimate and so that's been what is it, 11 years at this point i've played as the same character for those 11 years i'm actually pretty freaking good at the game too and i always play the same character so my apartment is entirely decorated with shit surrounding him
1: nice awesome well thank you so much for joining us harris it was very insightful i appreciate your time thanks again everybody for tuning in make sure to follow me on twitter and to check out jacobsonfirm.com and follow prediction esports on twitch and check out all of our past episodes on apple podcasts thanks and have a great night bye